0: Welcome to episode 56 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So, this week we'll do our usual roundup of vulnerabilities affecting supported Ubuntu releases. There's a bunch of different packages here that are affected, including uh, HAProxy, Squid, uh, NSS, again, uh, Firefox, and Samba. And then uh, Joe and I are going to have a chat about a couple recent hacks that we saw that looked pretty interesting. In particular, this one by uh, some Russian. Folks, uh, dubbed Evil Core Packers, and uh, some unsecured S3 buckets that got a certain company into, into some trouble as well. Anyway, so let's just dive straight into it. So, first up, we're looking at HA Proxy, the high, av- high availability proxy. Uh, this is addressing a single CVE for Bionic, Disco, and Eowyn. So in this case we're looking at uh, its handling of HTTP2 and that it would fail to uh, properly reject malformed headers. In particular the HTTP2 spec specifies uh, that when you're translating headers say from HTTP2 to HTTP1 there are certain characters that can be encoded in HTTP2 that are invalid in HTTP1 in particular because HTTP2 headers can be encoded as binary and so you should be doing things like uh, testing and rejecting like character returns and line feeds and null terminators that kind of stuff but it wouldn't do that and so you could end up then getting invalid uh headers that were then sent on to http1 hosts so that was fixed Uh, we've also fixed seven different uh, cves in squid uh these affect uh xenial bionic disco and ewan Uh, Two of these were around handling of URNs, which is the uniform resource names. Uh, These are globally unique identifiers within a particular namespace, and they're not used very often. Uh, But the kind of thing with this is you could say, have a URN, which is URN uh, IETF RFC 2648, let's say to specify the RFC 2648 from the IETF. And the idea is that these then can get translated by SQUID into say HTTP2 uh, requests internally off to another server or something like that. Uh, the problem was that when it would say uh, translate these into HTTP requests, it wouldn't then do the normal access re- control checks that it would do if that was just a standard HTTP request that was to Squid. And so you could then uh, end up accessing restricted resources, so things that weren't allowed, say servers listening on localhost and that kind of thing. Uh, there was also a heat buffer overflow. Uh, in again the urn uh, handling if say a response that was received in response to a urn request uh, was larger than the supplied buffer and finally uh, there was failure to terminate uh, null or failure to put null terminators on different strings Uh, and so you would get a buffer overflow uh, then when reading those in the cache manager uh, and so this would then affect any uh, clients using the cache manager cti process Uh, and a couple others there was a fix for HTTP request smuggling this is something we discussed back in episode 52 for HAProxy but a similar issue affecting squid and I guess back then we discussed it more as a wider ecosystem thing so yeah now we're seeing fixes for other packages as well uh, related to that uh, so yeah, if you want more details on uh, request smuggling, go listen back to episode 52. Uh, there was another interesting fix where they had been using, uh, so when generating nonces for HTTP digest authentication, they would generate the nonce from uh, a raw byte of a, a pointer to a piece of memory on the heap and so uh, as an attacker you could look at that nonce and then potentially figure out uh, what the actual address was of that uh, on the heap and therefore be able to defeat address space layout randomization as a result that was pretty cool we also had a fix for rabbit mq uh, one cve fixed for trusty extended security maintenance and disco and Eowin. Uh in this case there was an integer overflow if a client would send a frame that was basically went 32 max so 4 gigs Um, the resulting size that would then be calculated would uh, overflow that and so you then get a very small you know unsigned integer number as a size and it would then go and allocate a very small buffer as a result and then it would go to try and copy in the whole frame which is you know four gigs big into this very small buffer and you would get a huge heat buffer overflow Uh, so they added a simple check in that case just to reject any frames greater than int 32 max which is what two gigs basically Uh, and so yeah that should just uh, resolve that directly We had an update for NSS. I think I talked about uh, an update for this last week, so we've got another one this week. Uh, There was a null pointer dereference that would lead to a possible crash. There was denial of service when handling uh, Netscape certificate sequences. Uh, These are a particular sort of certificate, encoded certificate format. They're kind of like PKS 7, uh, but a bit different. And this affected uh, all the supported releases. So Precise and Trusty Extended Security Maintenance, Xenial, Bonic, and Disco. We had an update for Firefox, so nine CVEs that we fixed for Bionic, Disco, and Eo, so basically all the uh, sort of standard supported releases. Uh, in this case, uh, the latest upstream. This was the latest upstream Firefox release, which is version 71.0. Uh, this included fixes for a bunch of different things, uh, in particular the uh, NSS issue, one of them that I discussed last week, uh, plus. A bunch of different use-after-freeze that could be triggered, uh, there was some stack memory corruption and a heap buffer overflows, the usual kind of things we see, I guess, in these uh, C, you know, manually managed memory applications. We had an update for Samba, two CVEs that were fixed for Xenil, Bionic, Disco and Ewin. In the first one, uh, Samba allows you to set up, uh, or the Kerberos spec allows you to set up delegation of tickets, and these can be configured as non-forwardable, but this wasn't being honored properly by Samba, so you could have clients that could um, forward tickets uh, when they were not meant to be able to. Uh, That was fixed, plus there was also the ability to read invalid memory and therefore crash the uh, Active Directory domain controller if a DNS record was created that matched the name of a DNS zone because it would essentially confuse the, when it would do the name lookup, it would find the zone instead of the uh, the record first and it would confuse the type and access the wrong memory as a result. Uh, And this can actually be triggered because you could have clients that end up registering themselves directly with DNS records. Uh, So yeah, they've all been fixed for Samba. We updated uh, the GNU C library. In particular, this is EGLibC, the embedded uh, GLibC that used to be used as the standard LibC in Ubuntu in our older releases. Uh, And so this affects both uh, precise and trusty extended security maintenance. In this case, there was an integer overflow uh, when calling POSIX memory line. So this is a um, C library function that allows you to allocate memory of a given size and align to a certain alignment. Uh, and the problem was it would then you know, calculate this and you would get an integer overflow and so you'd end up with a small number instead of a large number and so you would get back then a small sized amount of memory when you thought you had requested a really big amount of memory and so when you went to copy your data into that, uh, that, that area of the heap you would overflow it and you uh, corrupt the heap as a result. i uh, have got a few more to go through. We've got an update for libssh. So one vulnerability here or one CVE fixed for Xenial Bionic Disco and Eowyn uh, there was uh, there was a function in libssh called ssh scp new and this takes three arguments and the third of this uh, could possibly or when it was able to be influenced by an attacker could allow you to inject arbitrary commands which would then be run on the server during that scp session and uh, so it requires that api to be used in a particular way to be able to uh, to take advantage of this but i guess the problem was that if you had configured things so that uh, your users were only able to copy files and not be able to execute commands you they could then get command execution as a result of this vulnerability i'd say if you had an application that was using this uh in the well the wrong way i guess uh we had an update for git so nine different vulnerabilities that were fixed in xenio Barnet, condisco and ewan there's a real mix of things here in particular a bunch of these were actually discovered uh, by the microsoft uh, vulnerability research center uh, and so they are f- actually are relevant to people running git on the windows subsystem for linux and i found these kind of interesting because a lot of them deal with sort of peculiarities of the ntfs file system uh, so on windows uh, you could have git write out file names that contain backslashes Because say that was a a valid name on a a Unix host or Linux host. But on Windows, those are seen as directory separators. So you'd be able to get uh, arbitrary directory creation as a result. Uh, Git wouldn't enforce NTFS protections in the working directory. So you could have files created that it shouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't take into account NTFS data, alternate data streams. Uh, these are a particular kind of quirk of NTFS file systems, where, as long with the data for the file, you can actually store alternate data as well in a separate stream. And this would allow things like overriding of files inside the .git directory itself during a clone. Uh, there was also uh, it didn't handle Windows virtual drives uh, properly, in that they can be well, they're usually named, you know, a colon, a drive, b drive, whatever. Uh, but they actually can be given longer names than that and so git would then treat those as relative paths and so it would then potentially write files outside of the working tree during a clone plus there are a few more uh, kind of linux particular issues in particular remote code execution if you were to clone a malicious repo that was using uh, git submodules and that had a crafted.git modules file because this is where the git submodules were specified and you can actually specify commands to be executed in there as well or at least you could before this was fixed And there was mishandling of command line arguments during cloning of repos uh, that had SSH URLs. So you could end up getting possible remote code execution as well through that. But they have all been fixed for Git. We've also had a regression in Thunderbird. Uh, This is actually an upstream regression. So the previous release that we did, uh, 68.2.1, there was an upstream regression that could result in a new profile being created for some users. So you would launch Thunderbird and you would appear to have all your settings lost and all of that. Uh, but yeah, this update uh, fixes that, so it should restore back to your old profile. And finally, we had an update for LibPCAP. So this affects uh, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, and Disco. Uh, just a single CVE here uh, where there was a possible buffer overflow when handling uh, PHP buffers. In this case, there was some confusion uh, from upstream, actually, as to which fixes were relevant to this CVE. Uh, so thanks to uh, Steve Beatty on our team for digging into that and trying to find out the relevant ones. Uh, but that has been fixed for LibPCAP. And that's it for the week's uh, security updates. So up next, uh, Joe and I are going to have a talk around uh, these recent evil corp hackers being uh, indicted in the US and also uh, a bunch of birth certificates and other data being found in uh, some unsecured S3 buckets on Amazon. (laughs) Hey Joe, how's things?
1: Things are good, Alex. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, can't complain. So, uh, this week, there was a couple of different things that we thought we'd have and to talk about. And before we get into those things, Alex, I
1: don't oh. care. I have a question I want to know. Yeah. What are you reading right now?
0: Uh, so, I'm not reading anything. Uh, I've been catching up on uh, Mr. Robot, so I... Oh, very cool. Um, I'd previously watched uh, the first three seasons, Um. Uh about a year or so ago, and then when I noticed the fourth one was out, I was like, Ah, okay. Now I don't remember anything, so I'm gonna rewatch it all. So I spent you know a few weeks rewatching the first three seasons and now I'm Very just new. starting to catch up on the fourth one. So but I did buy a new book yesterday. Um I'm trying to think what it was, a new Neil Stevenson book called Ah, oh, the was name escapes me now. Yes, it was called Fall. Yeah, Wait, but I haven't have read it yet? Yeah, I've read his other ones, yeah.
1: But because this follows like a follow-on to Reembe. Ah,
0: damn it! Now I'm gonna have to go back and reread that.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, because it's got <laughs> the main guy. Um, oh, the main character in uh, yeah. who owns the um, VR? Uh, who owns the m m o r p g company? Yeah. Um It's about. Ah. Uh, it's about him. Oh, I can't. You have to let me know how it goes. I have to go back and reread it. Yeah. I read the reviews online on Audible. Yep. And um, they were not encouraging to me. But you also can't ever trust those reviews. So
0: yeah. I kind of feel like I've invested a lot of my previous time in Neil Stephenson books and so I'm willing to still give it a go. Yeah.
1: Yes. Well, how did you feel about Seven Eves?
0: Uh, I quite liked that. It was quite different, obviously, to his other mm-hmm. stuff. Um, it was a little bit, I kind of found the start of it a bit long, but I, yeah, I still thought it was really good and I kind of made yeah, the whole sort of progression of it and the sort of different time thing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool, yeah. Very cool yeah i don't want to give away too much but yeah okay good good so
1: basically what people have heard is we're big neil stevenson fans yeah and you should read his books (laughs) yeah
0: although i did i went back and reread snow crash a few years ago and i kind of thought yeah it's it's hard to read yeah it's you know i liked it more when i was younger but anyway still like technology wise i still think it's cool but yeah some Mm -hmm. of the characters and stuff like that i just kind of find a bit uh
1: yeah pizza delivering yeah um, the whole skateboarding ninjas dick, yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway. well i mean he wrote the book when he was pretty young and it was at this point what is it 28 years old or something the book yeah so, Yes, true we, yeah think yeah. of the change in technology it's it's pretty neat yes. but yeah i i do i do celebrate all of neil's books so Yep. very cool maybe we can get him on the podcast one day i'm
0: sure he's a listener <laughs> of course <laughs> All right, so we wanted to talk uh, a couple of different hacks that you'd seen recently, Joe.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the first one is just—it's just so interesting because it's um, so uh, there's now a five million dollar reward to find the folks behind the um, behind Evil Corp. So these are the people that use the Zeus uh, uh, Zeus malware and um, Andradex banking trojan. Um, to steal people's money, and what's really interesting about this is um, the, the the fact that they use Zeus malware. So Zeus has been around for like what since like 2012. Um, actually, Zeus is even older than that. Um, but the the Zeus malware itself um, is was the first of its kind that it was. It's a keylogger, right? But it, it takes um it takes just banking information. And prior to this, most keyloggers just grabbed everything and threw it up somewhere right well zeus was more advanced because it actually basically did um regular expressions i mean essentially it's regular expressions um and only got banking information it was kind of the first one of its kind to do that um and i actually worked on this years ago when a big uh company had all of their at the time their skate infrastructure infected by zeus um and it was a pretty interesting thing to uh, go in and fix. I think we wrote a bunch of Python to detect it and remove it. It was kind of neat. Um, and this is on a Windows box. Oh, cool. And um, and I have a yeah. dog named Zeus after that. Um, after that soft. After that <laughs> virus. So. Um, uh, so. Um, this is my chocolate lab. Um, so then, um, what I just think is.
0: If people want more, you can go and follow Joe yes. on Instagram and you'll be able to see some awesome pics of Joe's dogs. Yeah, anyway, very true. sorry to I interrupt have. you.
1: They are, they, are, they are my muse. Um, and so, um, what was, what I think is neat about these two hackers is that, um, I mean, they were, were shameless, right? Like, they were just spending money as soon as they could get it. Um, what I think they read in the one article, they had a, like a 250 million pound wedding the guy had a custom lambo um that was uh that's license plate what i think was it in binary that translated the thief um or something like that Um, (laughs) i didn't
0: see that bit but i did see the pictures of the cars um, yeah
1: and when i need to find a picture of that license plate after this call um and it's just i mean i think it's really interesting i think it does show a lot though that um that the government is offering this kind of reward um because i think um they got something like um two hundred and twenty million in losses um and that's just an insane amount of money and Obviously you might be asking well why why do they why do they care enough to offer a five million dollar reward well you know if you have enough um enough of these hacks and enough people's credit cards get compromised, even though you know banks are hopefully um covering you uh, you know the the, the problem is you might be hesitant to use that credit card right and so it makes you spend less which has a direct impact on the overall economy and so that's why they have an incentive to try to stop this type of attack because these things can actually have a big effect on the overall um economy um so i just think it's great it shows how serious they are about cybercrime by throwing this kind of money behind it um and it's hard to stay hidden when there's that kind of reward right i mean alex i would turn you in for five million
0: (laughs) that's all right i understand um
1: (laughs) so i don't know i think it's pretty neat i think it's interesting though that how long this hacking group has been around and that shows i guess how hard it is to get caught or how or how corrupt the people looking after them also may be i don't know it's very interesting
0: yeah i wonder maybe they're just also in the or for the hackers in the right jurisdiction right maybe they're just a bit too hard to get um from you know places like the US and well, things. But, why would you? Yeah.
1: Why would a f- Why would a foreign country have an incentive to get these attackers if their crimes are essentially you know they're they're online, they're not breaking into a building, and the victims aren't yeah. in their own country? So you have to yeah. you know it, it does it does complicate things, right? It definitely you know the the very nature of it being a distributed. Attack means it can be hard to nail down right like why should why should that country's law enforcement waste their time on this person who has nothing to do with their their citizens
0: yeah i think we've seen more of this uh in the last few years that they um put out indictments for in a different hacking crew for members of different hacking crews in places like china and stuff too and it's i don't think it's that they actually expect to be able to directly you know I don't know. Influence the authorities in you know Russia or China or wherever to be able to extradite these people because there is no extradition treaties. But it's more around I guess trying to limit um, what these individuals can do and try to put some direct. You know, cost on them in that you know, yes, now you can't you know easily travel to the US, even though you may have Mm -hmm. you know hundreds of millions of dollars that you've you know that you've uh, taken, you can't necessarily uh, use it for the lifestyle you want and try to, I guess, exert that pressure on them. So yeah, it's hard, right? As you say, when you're in a foreign country and you can't directly you know have laws over these people, but uh, it's good to see, as you said, that they're trying to do something. And you know, a five million dollar reward is hopefully enough to get someone who knows something or can help them. (laughs) Yeah, get on the inside. You're to
1: you realize who re- your real friend is whether there's that kind of money, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah, and I, exactly. you said, you know, I think you. Said when governments have done it with things like China, I, since most yeah. of that is nation-state, they're just sort of saying, hey, we know yep. you're doing a bad thing, right? Now, with, with yeah. organized crime, it is somewhat different, or even just individuals, you can actually hope to do something because, as you said, those you have enough money, you're going to travel. You're not just going to stay at home. And that's yeah. all. Maybe they'll get caught. But... The other hack we're gonna talk about this week is something I think we've talked about, oh, I don't know, 400 times now. What, this is podcast number 56? Yeah. So probably 56 times. (laughs) Uh, So there was a um, Amazon S3 bucket that was configured incorrectly. So there is some company that does, um, uh, that does online applications for birth certificates. And so there's all sorts of information, a total of like, three quarters of a million applications with names phone numbers family mentor member, family members date of births etc um all sitting in this bucket exposed um the the people who found it contacted the company and said hey can you um take this down you know what they did no reply um then uh they're still using it i guess when this article came out maybe it's changed but there were um 9,000 new applications being added every week still in the public right um, and I yep. guess when they the, whoever found it contacted um, contacted Amazon they uh, Amazon said okay well we'll talk to them and it's still there and, um, and maybe because just nobody can get through to whoever's doing this and it's it's really interesting wow. because I mean it's you have to turn off the default security to make your bucket public which just yeah. shows that people don't understand simple troubleshooting. I think we talked about this before, but it's like when, you're, when something doesn't work on your box, junior people turn off the local firewall, right? Oh, the firewall's breaking. Yeah. You're like, How did the firewall break a disc right? No, you know, like, he's like, I don't know, it's yeah. a firewall because it's what they don't understand. Um, yeah. And so if we have listeners who have things in the cloud, you know, go through and use the built-in security tools that your provider has. Amazon's got something, I can't remember what the name of it is off the top of my head right now, but it will actually tell you when you um, launch the application which, uh, what the security is on your different buckets and will tell you if you actually have a public bucket and note it as a, um, as a bad thing. And yeah. these are free tools that are built in. Most, um, most clouds have something like this. Um, Amazon's done a really good job at building some of these tools in. So you've got them, use them. If you don't know how to use them, um, Google it. Um, if you're if you are concerned about something you have and you want help from us, maybe we can help if the questions are easy enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, that no, it is. Uh, it's tricky, isn't it? Because uh, we've got different companies every day spinning up new applications using all these services, and the cloud provider can only do so much. Uh, you know, people obviously want fine grained control over what things are public and not and you'll be able to i guess build these applications in a very flexible way but then that comes with the cost i suppose of being able or having Mm -hmm. to track all that and manage it and uh, i've heard people say that they think uh the permission structure in aws unfortunately contributes to this because it is big and complicated and it's not necessarily easy to discern uh when you've misconfigured something but uh i think it is like you said you have to go out of your way to do that and maybe it does come from people being not really familiar when they're first setting these things up but it, yeah, it really says you need to always i guess be reviewing your what you've deployed how you've configured it um is it still meeting best practice well like,
1: i mean i kind of equated it to with the first time you um you got on uh probably what a solaris box or air xbox way back in the day and you um and you couldn't get something to work. So what was the first thing you ran? Chmod 777, right? Like it's kind of the equivalent of like, we didn't know, so we did that. And if you did that now, you'd be appalled, right? <laughs> you know? So I think it's kind of the same. They're like, I don't know, let's just, Chmod 777, the ACLs, yep. right? So that's what people are kind of doing. And, and they, you know, if you're running it in production, just because it's not in your environment, doesn't mean you can kind of ignore the security of it. Just spend a little time and figure out the rules. This stuff's not super hard. Um, you can you can research it and you can figure out the right way to do it. Just like everything else, it takes a little more time, but once you figure it out, you'll have secure cloud applications for for a long time.
0: Yeah, make sure you review. You re, make sure you review it though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because these things do do evolve. Absolutely, so, a good, yeah. very
1: good point there. Things do yep. change. You know, um, yep. Yep. the threats always changing and technology is always moving forward, and you just have to keep up with it. And actually, that's one of the cooler things about yep. security because you can keep learning new things and keep getting a, getting a handle on
0: cool new technology. Indeed. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks, hey, Joe.
1: everybody, have a great week. And once again, thanks for listening to us. We really appreciate it. All
0: We'll right. talk to you again next week. Okay. Uh, so that takes us to the end of this week's episode. This is the penultimate episode for this year. Next week will be the last one, so make sure you listen out for that uh, before we all take a bit of a well-earned break over uh, Christmas and New Year's and the holiday period. But we'll be back in your uh, your feed in January. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to get in contact with us, you can reach us at security@ubuntu.com, or if you want to have a more public discussion, you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on Freenode IRC Network or we have the Ubuntu Harden mailing list on list.ubuntu.com. We also have a security section on discourse.ubuntu.com. And finally, if you want to find us on Twitter, we are at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. Uh, remember, until next week, keep calm and enable automated upgrades. And I'll speak to you again soon. Bye.